welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode 24, recorded on May 21st. Happy fifth birthday to Kubernetes from the Cloud Pod. Good evening. Welcome back to the Cloud Pod, everybody. We have a, another exciting week. We have a guest speaker in, though, today for Peter. Peter uh, is off on vacation enjoying the Memorial Day weekend. So uh, Ryan Lucas is joining us once again this week. Say hello, Ryan. Hi there. How are you guys? Hey, Ryan. It's been a little while since uh, Google I.O. when you uh, joined us last time to recap that fun event. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting time in the world of uh, cloud and Kubernetes in particular with the Kubernetes uh, event in Europe this last week. So you're the perfect person to talk all about containers with us. I'll do what I can. Yeah. Well, uh, but uh, before we get to containers, let's talk about uh, Cosmos DB. Uh, Azure's uh, basically NoSQL solution uh, had a very large announce, set of announcements in the last uh, few days, and we'll try to summarize those down for everybody out there in the podcast world. Uh, so there's a new preview for Wire Protocol compatible etcd API to help you manage your Kubernetes uh, clusters directly from the Cosmos DB um, API calls. Um, this allows you to directly interface with etcd uh, and make changes to your configuration tied directly to your Cosmos DB, which you might be using for configuration management in this particular case. Um, they also announced a new uh, upgrade for the type system of the database to increase compatibility with things like MongoDB, Gremlin, and Cassandra. And they are now claiming to be now nearly fully compatible with Cassandra CQL version 4. Um, they have also generally made it generally available the Azure Cosmos DB.net version 3 SDK and open sourced it. So if you want to make modifications, you can now do that. As well as they have a new and improved Cosmos DB Java SDK that they have announced as well. Uh, they also GA their cross-platform table uh, and their .NET standard SDKs uh, as well. So quite a bit of things in the Cosmos DB space. I wish I was using Cosmos DB in a solution to know how exciting all these features are. I mean, they sound good on paper, though. I mean, I know I've had trouble in the past managing etcd and clusters um, and with cluster management and I mean mostly around registration so it'd be neat to see how they how they get into the space and and what they can do it is a neat idea they, the one problem I have with like cosmos DB and and global uh, database from Google is that they're very proprietary so if you're worried about your vendor lock-in uh, these two <laughs> these type of solutions are a little bit of a challenge for you but uh, it's definitely good to see this continue to evolve and get developed out more fully. In more relevant news to the rest of us, uh, VMware has uh, snapped up Bitnami to broaden its multi-cloud strategy. Uh, many people know Bitnami as the prominent name in developer-based ecosystems for popular open source solutions. So these are quick start AMIs that have things pre-installed like uh, WordPress or Drupal. Uh, or all the different type of services like that that you were looking at there. Uh, they were purportedly as a profitable company and had raised about $1.1 million in outside funding pre-acquisition. Uh, they make most of their money through a couple different products, the first being the Vietnami Enterprise Catalog, which is a commercial version of the AMI library that adds on features such as vulnerability scanning and automatic updates. Uh, and they had an additional product called Stacksmith, which could allow you to create custom application packages for deployments in the cloud world. Uh, Bitnami has been focusing predominantly on AWS, but had started to move into the Azure space as well. And uh, their VMware executive, Milan Desai and Paul Fazone, uh, wrote in their blog post, our goal is to accelerate the application builder's journey by delivering simplified ways to leverage open source software applications and frameworks. 
And Barclays Capital uh, Analyst Ramo Lynchow report on this. We would expect VMware to maintain Bitnami Switzerland positioning across all stacks and public clouds post the acquisition. Uh, so definitely everyone's seeing this as a very large multi-cloud strategy. Interesting. I bet it makes a lot of people nervous. You know, there's a lot of little websites using little components here or there. And if it all of a sudden only runs on VMware, that's a problem. Well, I mean, I don't think that's VMware's strategy these days. Their strategy is all about, you know, running it in any cloud on any cloud with VMware on AWS and VMware on Google and VMware on Azure. So, you know, I don't know. It, it would be surprising to me to see them, you know, basically cut, you know, the profitability of this machine by moving it all to VMware. And Bitnami had appliances, I believe, for VMware all along as well. So we'll see if they continue to support the multi-cloud strategy, but I, I wouldn't be too worried yet. I guess they're also moving their business further up the stack. They're probably lost in the um, in the, the virtualization market anymore. So the further they move up the stack, the more business they've still got to um, to do with people. Yeah, I know a few times where I've run into Bitnami, uh, I've been sort of annoyed because while it, it is a good product and it, it gets you started, it, it's not something very scalable and it doesn't really understand uh, cloud native things like auto scaling and uh, cloud databases and those sort of things. It's all kind of in a very single enterprise AMI that has everything built into it, which makes you know upgrading it on your own much more difficult, which is why I could see this enterprise play uh, being somewhat interesting for some companies who do need to upgrade their containers and their applications in a more regularly process. But uh, to pay extra for that's kind of a bummer in the open source world. Yeah, I guess it's the problem of trying to support a multi-cloud um, deployment. You kind of end up with the lowest common denominator and not have a great solution for anything. Uh, Aptio has bought Cloudability uh, as basically the cloud cost management market continues to consolidate. Uh, if you guys remember previously, VMware had purchased uh, Cloud Health and Flexera had picked up RightScale a few months back. Uh, this is one more acquisition in the space to get uh, more cloud cost transparency. Uh, Aptio is a well-known ITBM package or IT business management solution uh, that companies and enterprises use to track their costs on premises. Uh, and while they have a cloud offering today, this is a great way for them to continue to extend their cloud offering um, and make it more robust. Uh, Cloudability is based out of Portland, Oregon. Uh, they have about 250 customers and had previously raised about $40 million in a Series B about three years ago. Uh, the Aptio CEO, Sunny Gupta, said, uh, even though there are some minor overlaps, the two technologies have a lot of complementary features. The plan is to bring its best-of-breed capabilities to our customers, uh, small and large. I haven't used Cloudability, but I have used Aptio, and their cloud stuff was very uh, rudimentary. And so, but they were very focused on a different side of the business and making expansion into cloud makes a lot of sense. So it'll make the product way better to offer both sides now. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some pretty good demos of Cloudability at conferences as well as, you know, they presented to me personally at my current job. Uh, you yeah, know, it's a good product and it was, you know, it was definitely moving in the right direction. And I can imagine the increased investment from Aptio as well as, you know, their focus on things that are larger than just infrastructure costs will actually make it a much more interesting platform going forward. Um, it'll be curious to see how this gets wrapped into. Is it get consumed by the Aptio platform or does the Aptio platform get uh, just better integrated into the Cloudability platform? We're curious to see how they actually integrate these two companies. But yeah, nice pickup uh, by Aptio. I think it's a good call for on their part. Uh, HashiCorp has uh, delivered on their promise to bring Terraform collaboration features to everyone, uh, which they did last fall at the HashiConf, uh, by introducing the new Terraform Cloud Remote State Management solution. Uh, this is the first feature of the new Terraform Cloud platform, uh, and this allows you to basically have state files uh, sh- 
managed and maintained in a cloud service uh, that's centrally managed by Terraform. Uh, and this allows you to collaborate with other DevOps engineers or other cloud engineers who are working on Terraform code. Uh, this was very difficult pre previously due to state files being very local um, objects either on your computer or you could do things like use S3, but they didn't really have a very good um, multi-user functionality there even with an S3 backend or a database type backend. Um, this new capability is there today and they do promise that new features will be coming to the Terraform cloud platform over the next year. Um, as they continue to build this out. But this is a good first start uh, down this path to a more SaaS-based backend for Terraform. This is really cool. It's definitely removed uh, one of the biggest barriers of entry of um, adoption of the tool. You should see some of the Rube Goldberg machines I've built using like Jenkins and GitHub in order to share state across multiple developers. Like It is ridiculous. It got a little bit better when you could start doing S3 backends and locking in DynamoDB, but it got, it got really hairy there for a little while where you... All states had to be after deployment shipped back into GitHub so that you could read the state. It was awful. So this is a very smart play by HatchyCorp. Yeah, I kind of wish it hadn't taken them so long. Really, people have been asking asking for this for basically as long as Terraform's been around. Well, they tried with Atlas for a long time, right, to build this, and so I, I suspect that it's been a couple of foibles and, and miscalculations along the along the journey. So hopefully, this takes off. I didn't click through to their site. Is there, is there a charge for this? I assume there's a charge for this. Uh, I did not see any pricing information or anything that indicated there's a immediate price uh, charge for it. I think it's kind of basically their first step into this bigger platform. They want to get customers using it first. Mm. And then once they get, you know, they part launching new features later on in the year, those might be paid for features. Uh, but this one looks like it is uh, basically included for free out of the box. Ah, cool. So it's like, come here, children. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you. We'll get you locked in and loving it, and then we'll start charging you a lot of money for it. Right. Um, I just think it gives them a nice uh, intermediate play for Terraform Enterprise because uh, that was one of the big drivers for Terraform Enterprise for many companies was a better state management solution, and I think you know the state was a pretty large ask to buy Terraform Enterprise, um, and there's other great features in Terraform Enterprise as well. But I think eliminating this one use case, which is really probably one of the more common ones that people need, making this available as a SaaS service, solves majority of the market's needs and gets and removes a barrier to adoption. And then when you need the next set of tools, that's where they can kind of swoop in with Terraform Enterprise and really sell that next component to you. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod. www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Uh, CloudWatch has uh, released new container insights for EKS and Kubernetes, uh, now in preview. This allows you to use CloudWatch to now measure and monitor the health of your EKS and Kubernetes pods, uh, nodes, namespaces, and services. This uh, covers everything around logs and metrics, uh, and is a really great enhancement if you're using EKS today. When this was announced, I couldn't tell if this was you know, like, oh, you guys are basically getting this for free because of all the monitoring that's built into the Kubernetes product, or is, oh my god, I bet that was a ton of work to integrate all that stuff with CloudWatch. And I still haven't decided where I land on that. But either way, I think if you're used to the 
the monitoring availability, like the visibility into your ecosystem with Kubernetes, that this putting it in CloudWatch, and if you're already in, using EKS and Amazon, it'll, it'll be nice for a lot of people. In a way, I don't want to have to monitor the, the health of these things. If it's a managed service, I kind of want somebody else to monitor it and make sure it's working for me. Well, only the master is, is the managed. The, 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 the pods and the services are still very much are run by you on your EC2 instances. Well, that's why I'm, I'm still really waiting for Fargate for EKS to ship, because that, that will solve this problem that you're talking about. But you know, right now we still only have Fargate for ECS, which is fine, and it does the same basic needs. But if you're you know, really used to that Kubernetes ecosystem, or as vendors are continuing to adopt Kubernetes in a big way, I'd love to be able to just plug that into EKS uh, Fargate and not have to worry about any of the pods or nodes or any of that kind of stuff, just run my service. Indeed, that's, I've heard that from a lot of people that they're looking for the same thing. So what kind of metrics is it reporting on? Um, it's like number of containers, um, memory CPU per container, per service, per pod. Um, that, that, you know, it's your typical type of metrics, but it's, it's not about the EKS service itself. Oh, okay, that's cool. What a, I mean, you know, my thoughts on this are a little bit interesting because I, of all the things that they could be focusing on for EKS to deliver and ship into the market, this one seems pretty minor. There are other alternatives for uh, Kubernetes for monitoring. There's Prometheus native support, really. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways to do monitoring in Kubernetes. How do you feel about EKS as a service in general and, and its continued development and where they're heading with it? I think they were sort of forced to go the EKS route. Like they had ECS before and the industry clearly was going the Kubernetes route. And I think EKS is a, was a move to, to put themselves in position. I also think that this, this is just an enablement of Fargate, EKS Fargate. Like you have to have this in order to really truly do Fargate so that you can have truly a managed service that's integrated with all the rest of the services monitoring wise. And you can have a very hands-off Amazon deployment of your containers. And so I, I, I think that, you know, like I'm still a big fan of ECS. Um, I, I think for certain workloads, it is um, it is an easier, uh, less overhead to manage. Um, even if you're using your own instances, it's pretty lightweight. Um, uh, and it gets even lighter with Fargate. Um, but, you know, people really love Kubernetes. It's got a lot of, a lot of momentum in the industry and so when you're we're hiring container people they're largely working on kubernetes at some point i'm hoping this may be the year that we start seeing them innovate heavily in eks um but you know this is a good step in the right direction but uh, i feel like they're doing a lot more to beef up their eks support in amazon yeah they still have a ton of stability issues and and it's you know it's still one of those things where you're really only paying for the compute underneath so it's I think they're relying a lot on the development of Kubernetes itself to drive their roadmap. So it, integrations are where they'll they'll really stand and stand out. If you're already in Amazon, integrating with IAM, integrating with CloudWatch, it's it's a big advantage rather than having to basically roll your own version of all those services, parts of the service. Gotcha. Well, uh, staying on our theme of Kubernetes uh, releases after KubeCon, uh, DigitalOcean uh, Kubernetes service was now generally available. So they announced uh, this at KubeCon this week in Barcelona, like I mentioned. This is Kubernetes 1.14, uh, which has been in beta available to DigitalOcean customers for a little while. Uh, it's now available in all of DigitalOcean's data centers. Uh, they have released a couple of new features that were not part of the beta, including a guided configuration experience to help users new to Kubernetes from user provisioning to deploying clusters, and a new advanced health metric so developers 
can see what's happening in their clusters, including pod deployment status, CPU, and memory usage, and more. Uh, they have provided some new open APIs uh, to you to allow you to integrate your third-party tools and easily integrate into the DigitalOcean Kubernetes product. Uh, and the company plans to continue to release a marketplace uh, for one-click app deployments on their Kubernetes uh, clusters using the popular Helm uh, package management system. So a uh, nice upgrade here by, uh, by DigitalOcean. If you are using Kubernetes uh, in your dev environments and, or in production and you need a slightly cheaper place to do that, maybe DigitalOcean is a great choice for you. So I'm not as familiar with Azure as I could be. Is their container solution a managed Kubernetes instance? Like, uh, you know, I know Amazon's waiting for the Fargate. I know there's GCE and now DigitalOcean. Is there is there any other major player in the space? Uh, yeah, from a, a pure managed Kubernetes, there's really only uh, Fargate, which is not out for Kubernetes yet, and then Google's Cloud Run. Uh, but, you know, from a general, like, who has a Kubernetes services, uh, Azure has a AKS, which is their Azure Kubernetes service, well-named, uh, that's out there. So, I mean, pretty much every cloud player now has a Kubernetes offering of some sort. The feature set and what they allow you to do on that feature set is still somewhat, um, you know, different for each of them. That's not where they haven't quite reached feature parity yet. Well, GCE is managed Kubernetes in a lot of ways. You're not running the infrastructure underneath it. You are just deploying to a Kubernetes API. Which is That's true. So and, and AKS is, I'd say, a little bit closer to the GKE vision, but it's not quite there yet either. It's still very similar to what EKS is doing. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. But, you know, I, I had a prediction that DigitalOcean was going to become a big deal this year, and they continue to deliver features to make me uh, feel that I was a good call. So, I think this is a smart play. I think, you know, they're, they're in a very challenging position in the market. And so if they can offer services like this, that I think that maybe they can make a play. Yeah, when you, when you choose to implement something um, as standard as Kubernetes, then it kind of levels the playing field again. Yeah, definitely. It makes it simpler. And now you're not dealing with, you know, all the different Kubernetes deployment models you could be doing. You just take it natively from your cloud provider. It's just a, a nice acceleration for a lot of companies not to have to worry about running Minikube or some of the other solutions for this. Uh, well, so Kubernetes, KubeCon, of course, uh, Google didn't want to be left out. And so they announced several new features uh, for GKE. Uh, the first one is they released uh, new release channels for GKE. So previously, you'd always have kind of the latest version of uh, Kubernetes available to you uh, that had reached kind of a level of maturity. But that wasn't always working for all customers, particularly customers who now want to adopt Windows servers, um, which is now being in beta. So now uh, you can now choose your Kubernetes cluster on Google to basically be part of the rapid, regular, or stable release channel. Uh, those will release, uh, rapids will release weekly, regular every few weeks, and stable every few months. And based on the level of risk and what you need to be able to do, um, you can now get your, your Kubernetes updated and maintained at that proper level. So the new Windows Server container feature, which they announced, uh, will be available in June, will be part of the rapid channel. Uh, and it'll stay in rapid and regular until it gets to a level of maturity and it'll move to the stable channel. So helps mitigate your risk uh, and keep you compliant for all those companies really about risk management. They also announced a new stack driver Kubernetes engine monitoring service uh, is now GA. And this gives you the full GK observability of metrics, logs, events, and metadata of your Kubernetes cluster. Very similar to what AWS launched. Uh, and then you can now uh, register your Kubernetes apps inside the GCP marketplace and launch them directly from the GCP marketplace into your Kubernetes cluster, uh, simplifying discovery of Kubernetes apps. And then, of course, this is the fifth birthday of Kubernetes. And so GCP is giving away a free month of learning at Coursera with the Architecting uh, with GKE course, uh, which is now valid until September 30th. So if you're looking to get started on GKE, you can go join that course for free at Coursera.com. I will have a link to that in the show notes. 
Awards. That's very cool. I, I love the idea of giving away training for free. I mean, it's it's, it's obviously a, a, a marketing play. Get you, get you in there, get you hooked. But, you know, anytime you can do free education, it's fantastic. I guess with KubeCon this week, it's expected that we're going to have a lot of overlap with the with the stories. But, um, yeah, this is really, it's really cool. Should point out that the the rapid weekly um, upgrade cadence f- from uh, GKE is not covered by their SLA, so no production workloads. They kind of have in their chart of uh, use cases. They said, you know, rapid is really for early testers and developers who require the newest level of features. So things like the Windows Server container support, which is still beta in the main Kubernetes branch, uh, or just G8 actually, I think, uh, but is now being betaed in GKE. Those are there. Uh, and then the regular, they're saying, is for production users who need features but not yet offered in the stable channel but not quite as uh, bleeding edge as your rapid channels. So, yeah, definitely they gave us a guidance on what they think those different channels should be used for, and I would recommend reviewing that. Um, as, there, as Jonathan mentioned, there is no SLA on the rapid channel. So I always get the newest bugs with the weekly channel. Great, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and then you can be broken for a week because they won't fix it for a week. So there you go. Yep. Well, that's it for uh, new news. Uh, Jonathan, you're stepping in here for Peter this week on the lightning round, so I'll hand it over to you. Excellent. And we all know the rules from last time around? I think I remember. That's good. All right. EKS has simplified K8 cluster authentication with a new CLI subcommand for generating the authentication token for connecting. <laughs> <laughs> Gasp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is actually nice because you know they, they did that original partnership with... Um, that company that ended up getting actually bought by Google, right? <laughs> so they originally had that plugin that you had to insert into your kubectl configuration that would basically do the authentication to the IAM credentials, and then that would basically get you access to your Kubernetes cluster. Uh, then that company got bought, which I thought was hilarious, by Google, and now they've kind of come up with a better option, which was what they should have done all along, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where they need to figure out how to at the Kubernetes API level, actually be able to read input and, and do the SDS transaction for you for these things. They still sort of have these wrappers around, like if you use ECR, you got to have the same thing. Your Docker login is this kind of complicated process. And you know, it's it. I like the integration with IAM because people are, are using it there, but it's also sort of funny that you have to do this extra step. Yeah, you can quickly tell where the glue is that holds Amazon native stuff to things that they're trying to support. Yeah, exactly. You can now use custom chatbots with an Amazon Chime. At least that's one way to increase your uh, usability metrics by just having a lot of bots talk to each other. I was going to say, like, I, now I could be frustrated with Chime and my chatbot. This is fantastic. Performance Insights now supports Amazon Aurora Global Database. Is this the global database that's still in one region? <laughs> now you have all your pretty, pretty, pretty pictures for your management now available to you in Performance Insights for Aurora Global. I'm writing, I'm making notes because last time I, I was the uh, the guest judge, I couldn't remember anything that happened. So excuse me, database. <laughs> <laughs> I think I won by default when that happened. I, I think it. Yeah, I, yeah, I yes. think it did. Yeah. 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 I'm making. Gotta, so, be, gotta be more fair this time. I'm against this note taking entirely. <laughs> got big shoes to fill. Have you seen how tall Peter is? Yes. Yes, I have. I think you guys are both short. Just yeah, so? <laughs> it's not that tall. <laughs> AWS Migration Hub now provides right-sized Amazon EC2 instance recommendations. That your developers will quickly ignore just as usual. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, no, no. I need those 16 CPUs. God, that's so true. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon SageMaker Ground Truth now supports automated email notifications for manual data labeling. I wish I understood that announcement. Uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> so, I mean, basically, 
this is their way of basically being able to notify your mechanical Turk that it has work to do. That's all it is. <laughs> it's the telling of the customers that the people in Romania are looking at their videos from Ring. <laughs> well, so the ground truth was the, the, the big feature difference between just dumping this off to Mechanical Turk was that you could have private reviewers versus, and public uh, from third-party companies. So you'd be able to choose who was actually going to be doing your manual data labeling. So you could control that versus just you know any, any Joe Bob from any country in the world seeing your data. Uh, or videos as it was so yeah this is an interesting product but um you know <laughs> i thought it was sort of funny how you can now automatically notify your mechanical truck it has work to do well, first it was license plates and now the state prisons are going to be full of people working on sage making projects fantastic <laughs> <laughs> mumbai and seoul aws apac regions are adding a third availability zones so I, I actually, I mean, we we have kind of dropped talking about new region or new zones and stuff like that. But this was interesting because I saw an interesting question on Twitter. So when you have a service that relies on three availability zones to get its uptime requirements, what do they do in a region that only has two? I don't know. Yeah. See, if, <laughs> if someone if someone knows this, I would yeah. love to. I'd love to have an answer to that question because I don't. No one answered it on Twitter either. But I, because there's definitely you know some of their scenarios where they're basically saying, well, if you want to get you know five nines, you need to use all three availability zones in a region. Well, the difference is uh, um, availability zones refers to EC2 quite specifically, and I, most of the Amazon services don't run on EC2. They have their own platform, and so there may well be uh, three real availability zones, only two of which support EC2. So publicly, it looks like two. On the back end, there's actually three separate zones to run the other services. I mean, everyone knows they all run on simple DB in the background, so it makes sense. <laughs> AWS IoT Device Defender now supports monitoring behavior of unregistered devices. So I've misconfigured my device, and it will monitor it for me. Perfect. Yeah, I, I don't believe that for a second, do you? <laughs> yeah, how, does it, how does it monitor the negative state? Like, yeah. it's such a weird, yeah. weird thing. Let's dig a little deeper into that one. Amazon SNS adds support for cost allocation tags. Sweet Jesus, why doesn't everything support tags? Thank you very much. <laughs> we should get like a, a canned sound effect for this. <laughs> I do like that you can actually break this up by SNS topic. So you can actually, you know, it's not just SNS configuration has tags. Actually, like messages being sent through it are tagged and, and it's kind of nice. So. Oh, well, that, no, that, I can see that being very handy in a, in a very high volume notification world. Otherwise, you just have this SNS topic, you know, or SNS subscriber, and it's getting all these messages, and you don't know why or what's causing the cost on that message. And now you can see it by topic. So I, I think it's a nice improvement, actually. Unlike our normal complaints about cost allocation tags, this is actually a little bit more complicated. RDS for MySQL now supports password validation. I mean, why would I want this versus just using Secrets Manager? I don't. I, I mean, I get it's nice that you can now enforce your dumb password standard of you know 150 characters and you know, all Hebrew letters and the password complexity. But it just seems like it'd be simpler just to use this in Secrets Manager and be done. Yeah, I wonder if it's just one of those things where, like, your application is dumb enough to only use passwords, but then you also have the security conscious where it can't just be your mom123 as the password. I was very very happy to see Microsoft dropping the requirement for regular password changes from Windows 10 from now on. I think it's a move in the right direction for password passwords in general oh, that's I, I hope that that gets implemented at our workplace someday yeah because <laughs> i'm tired of changing my password it, every 90 days it needs to be implemented everywhere like you know there's science and studies and everything so it's like it's just get with the time security folks nist even has updated their guidance uh, as well so I, I i think it's just a matter of time before 
you know, it goes from NIST, then it goes into ISO, then it goes from there into SOC and all the other different compliance frameworks. And then you get, uh, you know, that eventually gets fixed, but it's probably like a 16 year process to get there. So, you know, you have a little ways to wait still. Amazon Guard Duty has added two new threat detections. So I like the, the, the one of these two, like the, the, the EMR unprotected port, like, yeah, I get it. Okay. I mean, that's, it's specific to the EMR cluster and it's a similar finding to their, their security group uh, detection. But the primitive escalation one, actually, I, I like quite a bit because this is like where guard duty really shines in my eyes is because not only do you see someone log in, but then you see them immediately assume a different role or change, change their own permissions, and that's a finding. Like, I love the fact that it's going to take two different events in order to generate that finding. And, you know, if you're if a basic sim, you're not going to get that. Yeah, this is a really nice feature. Uh, I, I wonder about some of the naming because uh, the the one, first one, the EMR one, is port probe EMR UU unprotected port blah blah blah. It's like it's not very very clear what that is. Just glancing at it, and someone's gonna freak out in security somewhere. But oh, the EMR UU is broken, and you're like, I don't know what that is. So I, I wish that was a little bit more descriptive. But yeah, the other one I think is fantastic. Uh, the spring 2019 SOC reports are now available for AWS with over 104 services in scope, and you can't talk about any of it because it's all under NDA. Well, you, you can only get them through the management console uh, in your Amazon account, which required that you went through the click-through NDA. Uh, so yes, that is very true. And they are watermarked to your company name or organization so they can track you down if you share them publicly. Wow. Uh, they're very sensitive information to Amazon. you got to wonder why, though, right? Like, it's... it's it's good stuff. It's good good news about Amazon. They have their processes in place. They have mitigations for things. It's, you know, for any other company, it's a selling point. They definitely are okay with you looking at them. They just don't want you to share them with companies that don't have an agreement with Amazon for whatever reason. So, but I mean, I don't know that anyone else has them quite as easily available like Google or Azure either. So, I mean, if they were offering all those publicly on the internet, then maybe Amazon would change their tune. But so far, they're not doing that. Plus, there are sometimes some legal ramifications from like if you're using EY or PwC or some of these companies, um, they don't allow you to just share the report to anybody. They they require that you have some type of NDA in place. And that may be it actually may be the third party that's caused them to do this versus their desire to do it. And is that just to drive the business then in, in the compliance the compliance and audit industry? I guess maybe. Yeah. yeah. AWS has announced Elemental Media Package price reductions in all regions. I always love price cuts, uh, especially for services I don't use. <laughs> <laughs> this is a big one too, forty percent, right? Like this is. Uh... Yeah, so there's there's two price cuts to it. The live ingest uh, is a forty percent price cut, and then if live origination and packaging, which is delivery of streaming, uh, has a fifty percent cut, so that's that's overall a very healthy. Uh, reduction in costs for companies using the media stuff to deliver live streaming events. Maybe you're not the only one who doesn't use this service. I, I'm not the only one who doesn't use it. <laughs> <laughs> what if they're going to invent services just to cut prices on them? That way they can keep saying they're cutting prices. Yeah, so exactly, like, yeah. they're like, we've cut three prices 7,000 times on, you know, 650, 6,500 services you've never heard of or use. Yeah. Great. <laughs> And that's it for cool tools. No, it's not for cool tools. That's it for the lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, Jonathan, who uh, who won the lightning round this week? Uh, Justin, I think you're going to win this week for the comment on the users of Chime. I was no contest this week. I, I, I fully agree with this. With a close second for Ryan and the Aurora Global Databases. <laughs> that was pretty good, too. Yes. Yep. <laughs> uh, all right, good. Well, uh, we don't have a cool tool uh, this week, which is okay. 
I have so many good ideas for cool tools, but I, I, yeah, never get around to doing anything with it before recording day. I need to uh, work on my my scheduling and prioritization. Maybe that's maybe that's a cool tool for next week or you know next time is that you can you know here's a tool that I'm using to manage my time. Yeah, yeah, like I'm using Asana. Just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm using to do that text to manage all my tasks. Yeah. That's right. I use Asana for my kids' chores, but I realize it's just easier to shout at them than it is to update update the app. <laughs> so this is it for another fantastic week in the cloud pod uh we'll be back next week uh with another exciting episode uh ryan do you want to share your contact info if anyone wants to follow you on the internet i am at uh, ryron01 on most social media platforms and i do my best to to put something out there instead of just being such a consumer I looked you up on FetLife, but didn't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> anything that I can talk about, anyway. Exactly. <laughs> That's a secret. But, you know, everyone out there should go follow you because uh, you did mention last time that it's sort of awkward that I ask you to do that and then you, you don't post anything. I, so you're going you're gonna to commit to tweeting something this week and they're going to commit to following you and it's, it'll, be, it'll be a good match. I'm going to I'm gonna get up to four followers. I'm sure you have, like, a lot of fans out there. Oh, yeah. Who, Tons yeah. of fans. Sure. All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me on. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe today on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag the cloud pod.